Welcome everyone to the Sunday morning series with Pooja Swamiji. I'm here with Pooja Swamiji and on behalf of all of us seekers, I pay my salutations at the feet of uh, Pooja Swamiji. So Swamiji, most of the time people don't realize that uh, what is the happiness that they are seeking and uh, the happiness that they are seeking is not out there they don't realize that so one has to first of all realize that what they are seeking is moksha liberation and secondly they have to discover the possibility of moksha the means so until one has discovered such a possibility a value may not arise and instead uh, they may go on asking or pursuing for something less than Utkrushta, the best. Or one may enjoin both in yoga and bhoga, kind of. They are not for, like, they enjoy as well as, as well as they are listening to spiritual, uh, you know, talks. So when is a good time to wake up the people and make them realize that they have to start their journey inward to get the happiness, the ultimate happiness, <clears throat> that they want and uh, to wake them up to the fact that there is nothing in the world in whom they can have unfailing trust is this something that they should realize themselves or is it something to be pointed out by an aptapurush and uh, should vairagya not be facilitated by navigating a person regarding the truth it is said that this Upadesha should not be given unless asked for. So even Aptapurusha also cannot guide somebody unless somebody wants to be guided. You cannot go to somebody and just start talking to him. And therefore, if this person's prarabdha Arabic karma or past karma also we are favorable and he himself will perhaps go and, and seek advice or seek operation. But we cannot often decide, you know, when should we guide them, when should we tell them. Uh, even if you tell them, if they are not ready, it won't work. So uh, basically what it means that you should tell something to somebody provided the person is willing to listen, is a value for what you are talking about. Otherwise it will, no, it will not serve the purpose. So it is true that people do not know that what they are seeking is moksha, what they are seeing is themselves. Moksha is, uh, yes, what they are seeking is uh, unconditional freedom, no doubt. And that is to be found from one's own self. Both the things have to be understood. That desire behind all the desires is that of moksha is an important thing to understand so that they will discover a vairagya for other things and subsequently also to discover or to understand that moksha is also their own nature and therefore it comes by knowledge. Although knowledge requires preparation of mind, which requires karma, bhakti, everything. 
So if this scheme becomes clear, then the person's life gains a proper direction. Then of course he can be guided. If he seeks guidance, he would, then he can be guided. So to answer the question, when should we tell them, uh, I think it is for them to seek the knowledge, ask for guidance under, or ask for understanding. And if their karma is favorable, punya karma, then it will occur to themselves. But is it also not right that, uh, okay, uh, like a person who is having always vanilla ice cream, Mm. and has never had a butterscotch ice cream. Mm. We'll never know what a butterscotch ice cream is. Mm -hmm. So unless being told and unless being shown that this is the highest happiness, uh, one may not even understand and one may never seek because he doesn't know that there is a butterscotch ice cream there. But how can you tell him unless he wants to know? If he thinks vanilla ice cream is all there is, he doesn't have any curiosity or desire to know anything. How will you tell him? Meaning that either he has to be willing to listen to you, isn't it? And so butterscotch ice cream, you can, when he's eating vanilla, you can say there is something called butterscotch ice cream. But uh, when a person is living a life, you can't say there is something, you know, within you or something, unless they are willing to listen to you, understand. It's not just listening. They have to also grasp and understand what they are saying. And that requires certain preparation of mind, also requires certain uh, tuning up. So you will want to listen to somebody with whom you are tuned up. So all that has to happen. Yes, of course, you offer public discourses, you know, you write books. And there are a lot of things done in general. And uh, hopefully again, this kind of people may come in contact through that possible. So that part you can do, but I don't think that you can specifically go to a person and talk to that person if the person is not willing to listen or doesn't have value about what you are talking about. Samiji, what about uh, even there are some, like at least mostly Indian people, they have an awareness of this is what we have to go for. Uh, so there is a tendency of both bhoga and yoga. So they listen to spiritual talk and they are into like uh, uh, spirituality, but they simultaneously also listen or are they, sorry, they are also very much in bhoga. So by bhoga, I mean not nishkam karma, I mean sakam karma. Pleasure. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So, Pleasure, karma is the first thing that naturally appeals to person or uh, impels a person. And then it is not necessary to say, it cannot be said that most people have, you know, uh, also something to do with adhyatma or religious thing. Depends upon upbringing. But as the time comes, uh, perhaps proportionately, fewer people seem to have awareness because now the, the impact of the bhoga or pleasure and indulgence is so much that uh, many people are not ready to listen to this or consider this. So on one hand we do find that there are greater interest in spirituality 
the other hand we find also that the pleasure and indulgence also is growing so both the trends are seen but it's likely that when a person gets exposed to spiritual discourses or comes gets acquainted there would be a combination of both spirituality as well as bhoga in his life and hopefully his understanding about what the spirituality is to offer if he becomes more and more clear then he will recognize its value then he will be turned to this towards this all of these also require the fructification of pura punya karma so many many times we find that when a person is going through some challenging situations and like uh, taking him or her through a turmoil they kind of uh, Seek good spirituality. Hmm. Uh, is it then advisable, like if someone is a friend of such a person, that is it advisable to to offer guidance spirituality, or is it just uh, good enough to kind of resolve his or her problem? To begin with, it's better. It's uh, desirable to resolve the problem, but the resolving also can be done based on the basic principles which we are called spirituality. so short term and long term both kind of solution should be said pointed out short term is a vyavaharik solution long term is spiritual solution so yesterday we were talking about relationships and the first question uh, was uh, what is the purpose of relationship in our life mm-hmm. and swami ji mentioned that it is uh, for happiness mm-hmm. my question is if that is the case hmm. then people should be happy like because we uh then the and there would be no need to pursue it further if people can find happiness just in relationships then there would be no need for going further for self knowledge right the happiness we are talking about of course is uh, vyavaharik happiness happiness source of course is one but it is a happiness coming from the satisfaction of the mind that comes from a harmonious relationship <clears throat> because in that one feels accepted comfortable with one's own self so i'm relating with another person all right but when there is harmony in the relationship so that is called harmony when each one feels accepted by other feels comfortable in the presence of others and when you are accepted comfortable then you're happy with yourself with everything so thus a successful relationship or the extent to which a relationship is mature or successful to that extent it makes each one comfortable with themselves relationship with being comfortable with other one the comfort of other one also creates comfort with oneself and that's what creates happiness and so this is happiness that makes a mind pleased cheerful and that can then 
further lead to self-knowledge. In itself, this is not self-knowledge. But for self-knowledge, you need the clarity of mind, happiness of the mind. So relationship, a successful relationship is able to do that. That is why after Grihastasham, there is Vanapastasham. So in Grihastasham, relationship is one kind. In Vanapastasham, a little different relationship between husband and wife, which leads to sannyasa. So thus, each man gives it their maturity <coughs> and preparedness for self-knowledge. So, not that happiness is different, it's the degree, degree of happiness. <coughs> so, relationship can give you a total happiness also. The extent of it, there is oneness and harmony to that extent, there is happiness in the mind. Total harmony, then in that total harmony, the individual is forgotten. On the extent to which you forget that individuality, to that extent, you are closer to the self. And so, a very successful relationship, then, in a way, does become the means of experiencing Atma and gives you a state of mind which is ready for knowing that Atma. So, the self is absolute happiness, the relative happiness becomes the means of discovering the absolute happiness. The relative love becomes means of discovering absolute love. So, thus a successful relationship has a lot to contribute, spiritually also. When uh, Yagni Valke gives uh, the uh, teaching to Maitreyi, mm -hmm. and uh, like before that, he says that, okay, uh, I'm leaving for the next ashram and I'm dividing the two, uh, between, uh, the wealth between the two. And uh, when Maitreyi expresses herself that that's not what I want, and uh, Yagni Valke, uh, you know, responds that. You're always dear to me even before. So, can we relate that their relationship was, their healthy relationship kind of led to Maitreya's Jignasa for the self-knowledge? Both. Their relationship must have been very healthy because Yajnavaka said, you're always dear to me. And because of that, the Vishnu of Yajnavalkya also permeated into Maitreyi, meaning that thus a, a contact with Yajnavalkya, naturally she imbibed many things from him and that's how the maturity came to her, that's how Vairagya developed in her, that's how Jignasa, the, knowledge, the desire for self-knowledge became manifest. So uh, it is definitely a successful relationship. And in case of Maitreya, it is also because of relationship with Yajnavalkya. It is by the, so, uh, by osmosis, you know, you get a lot of things. So, other relationships may not lead to Jignasa like Maitreya. 
So Maitreya was very fortunate that she was related to Yagya Valkya. And so that relationship and maturity led to Jignasa. <coughs> but we also find like there are many relationships which are very good. Like there is no kind of, you know, sorrow or unhappiness are very good. But we find that uh, often they kind of, it's, uh, they get lost in Bhogavati and they uh, forget that there is something more to discover. They take it as the eternal happiness. And so, in that case, there is also a probability of getting kind of, you know, stuck and not moving further. That depends on the level at which your relationship is. At physical level, emotional level, and wherever the harmony is, it gives you happiness. It's likely that a person is content with that and therefore does not see the need of discovering more or growing to more. So that depends upon the punya karma, maturity of mind, etc. Also, so it's true. But every relationship will not lead to that. Sometimes they don't even realize that there is more to discover. Because if uh, if there if somebody discovers that there is more, then definitely they would kind of you know go for the, go for it. Yeah. So if that relationship involves asakti. Happiness comes from fulfillment of asakti. Then it is. Uh, sort of wishes to come, you know, and therefore the asakti remains, Vayaga does not arise, and so Jignasa would not arise. How do we know whether the relationship is from asakti or uh, pure love? Asakti usually brings about expectations, dependence, and uh, also sometimes possessiveness. So often that is there in relationships. That is the uh, the part that is the uh, defect or impurity in the relationship. It is natural to have asakti. It's there in the mind naturally. Therefore, to grow out of asakti, one may not see the need because, but then you do not realize that that relationship is not a very healthy relationship. When the expectations are there, demands are there, disappointments also can be there. And so that can bring about conflicts or. So, asakti manifests as expectations, demands. Yes, depends on the extent of asakti. So, my next question, Swamiji, is uh, how should one manage asakti, moha for near and dear ones? Uh, we have to pay attention to our mind. And as I said, in, every, in any relationship, there are both the aspects, love as well as attachment. And therefore, we have to look at the relationship and see what is the attachment part? What is the part where one is dependent and therefore demanding? It, it's both ways. 
attachment gives happiness because of the uh, favorableness of the other. But then in that there is a dependence. If that does not come along, then you become unhappy also. So we have to look at our relationship and ask ourselves, are there occasions where I become unhappy? We will find that because our expectation is not fulfilled in some way or the other. And that's the asakti or attachment part. So asakti is the cause of unhappiness, ultimately. Some asakti is always there, attachment should be there in relationship. So that is what prompts you to care for the other one. So there is no relationship without asakti. As long as that asakti makes you take care of the other person, nurture them, nourish them, so that's good. <coughs> if that asakti then grows into uh, with, with expectation, etc., then the relationship can also sometimes can become source of unhappiness. So we have to see that unhappiness, where was it, what was the expectation, what can I do about it? So from every relationship has asakti. And we have to see whether that relationship sometimes creates unhappiness, conflict. Then to examine that, we'll find that some expectation was there which is not fulfilled. And thus to uh, become aware of the expectations and see if I can let go. So that is how we can discover the disappointment or unhappiness coming from the relationship can make us aware of our expectations. Because unhappiness comes from unfulfilled expectations. So then we become aware of expectation, then I can ask myself, can I let go? Expectation means that we want the other person to change, to suit us. When that does not happen, we feel rejected. And therefore we feel unhappy. So I, can, I ask myself, can I accept the person as a person is? Letting go of expectation means accepting the person as the person is. And expectation means I want the person to change, to suit me, to make me comfortable. So can I discover comfort from the person as the person is? Usually, we gain comfort, experience comfort when the other one suits us, sometimes changes to uh, comfort us, but it may not always happen. Other person has his or her own requirement, they have their own expectations. So this is the part which is what is called asakti or attachment. It's always there, but we should become aware of this. And ask, why did I become unhappy? What did I expect? What expectations are not fulfilled? 
and I let go. Because, as the Puja Swami used to say, everybody is a combination of virtue and limitation. So, what is meant by accepting other person is accepting the limitations. Which means the other person may not be compatible to me in every way. There cannot be total compatibility between different individuals anyway. So, can I accept that reality and accept that person even though the person may not be compatible in, say, several aspects? It also means realizing that uh, the happiness in relationship doesn't come from necessarily compatibility. It comes from uh, giving, kind of realizing that fact, right? Yes, that relationship, happiness comes from mutual acceptance and accommodation. Well, a person whom you love, you try to be compatible to that person anyway, but still there is a limitation. And so, uh, when you find that other person is trying, but there is always a limit, then we let go, we accept. With respect. Sorry, many times there are some relationships like a parent-child and where uh, the parent may feel that the child is part of him. Uh, so when we are talking about relationship in the sense that we are looking at the other person as the other person but sometimes like when many parents when they talk to their child, they don't feel that that their child is other than them. So they feel that they're just talking to themselves. Mm. So that is kind of the bond we are talking about. So, and yes, it is part of possessiveness and I guess asati, but how to deal with that kind of fact that the person is seeing the child as part of him or her. So, how to address it that, no, we have to go one step back and kind of uh, let it go, let the child be what he or she is. Exactly. And the parent, this was, I think it was uh, Omar Kahyam, you know, uh, who said this, that child is through you, not of you. I mean, child is an individual, independent, and that's how you have to relate to that child. As parent, you nurture, nourish, care and provide. But at the same time, respect, the child is individual, and they have their own likes and dislikes, so don't impose your likes and dislikes. So when you say child is part of me, we impose our likes and dislikes upon them. And that relationship becomes then conflicting. As long as the child is uh, young and, you know, uh, doesn't have developed that individuality, so long it works well. But then child grows, has his or her own individuality, 
own likes and dislikes. Then the parent trying to impose, no, you should become a doctor, you should marry this person, etc., etc., you know, or, or in small things also. Even concern, like even, even if uh, they let the freedom uh, be as is, but even the very concern for the child sometimes can become overpowering to the child. Like uh, from the parent, it is coming all out of love because uh, for the parent, the child is not different from uh, them. So that is where the concern, over concern may come from. But the child may feel opposite that uh, it's, uh, you know, stepping on their toes. That's how uh, he or she may feel. But that is what I mean by that imposing your likes and dislikes. That's what happens out of concern. You feel that the child will be happy or should be what I think he or she should be. And so we do not give them that uh, space. And sometimes you suffocate the person. Sometimes you inhibit the growth also. Either you must too much, too much pampering inhibits the growth also. And uh, so those boundaries are important. Whereas you certainly give your love and care and nurturing. At the same time, give them the freedom to be what they are. And allow them to grow. Help them grow as individuals. Then the parent sometimes is concerned that I lose a child. If the child grows as an individual, then it manifest its own personality, in which case, then slowly two different personalities are there. That oneness which was felt earlier slowly uh, starts waning and parents feel insecure. They feel they are losing. And so out of, because of their insecurity, they want to possess and control. So when as a parent I find that I'm, I have a tendency to control, then I should realize that I have to give them the freedom and accept the fact that they are individuals, they have their own likes and dislikes, desires, expectations, goals and my role is to nurture that even if their desires, their expectation, their goal is quite different from mine. Still, still love them. And that's the difficult part. But ideally, that is what is expected. And because in that care and concern, the parent becomes dependent upon child. On one hand, you are caring and showing concern. On the other hand, the favorableness of a child becomes very important to you for own, your own security. That in that case, uh, you feel disappointed, devastated when the child, uh, you know, becomes independent, asserts his independence, and you feel rejected. So before all these things happen, we should, you know, 
and give them the space and enjoy them as they are. To enjoy the child if it grows as I want it to grow, to enjoy the child as it grows as an individual and my role is that of a gardener to facilitate that growth and enjoy the growth as whatever it is. I mean, this is an ideal thing, not easy, but this is what an ideal thing should be. Uh, what is the importance of Bhakti in Vedanta? Bhakti is a means of knowledge. Bhakti is for the one who I want to know. Knowledge is to know Ishwara. And Bhakti is a devotion for Ishwara. To make him favorable. Acquires grace so that he reveals himself to me. So that way bhakti becomes a means of knowledge. That's how Vedanta presents bhakti as a necessary thing, as a means of knowledge, as a stage leading to knowledge. So yesterday we were talking about relationship mm. and uh, and Yagna mm-hmm. and Swamiji said that in that in that case Maitri was fortunate that uh, via osmosis uh, uh, she imbibed the qualities of Yagna Valkyrie. Uh, I have two questions. First is what made it possible for Maitri to imbibe the qualities of Yagna Valkyrie and what can one do to facilitate that process of osmosis when in the company of virtuous people. The interesting thing is that Yajna will get two consorts, wife. Maitre and Katyani. Katyani did not uh, imbibe that. So naturally Maitre came with her own, you know, karma. So there was a great contribution part of Maitre also. And if that preparedness is there, then you imbibe also. And so, um, Maitri also must have preparations from her birth, from the previous karma. So, that is all something we have to imagine. That there was something because of which Maitri had the desire to know Atma. Uh, I think Yajnivalkya's announcement that he is going to take sannyasa triggered. So why is he taking sannyasa if he doesn't need anything? So what is it that he knows? And so that's what I want to know. So uh, she must have a lot of samskaras for this to happen. But it's also commonly known that uh, between this uh, sevak and failure, typically osmosis, there is opportunity for osmosis. So I wanted to know, like, what is it that kind of, uh, what is the criteria that allows for this osmosis to happen? It's the preparedness of the mind. And that's the reason why 
There may be several disciples and they may all imbibe things in different degrees. There are different people, different preparations. And so, uh, I'll yes, preparedness of mind is right, but is it like the, uh, like the disciple is observant? It's all part of the mind only. So, grace of the Guru is there and the preparedness of the mind is a part of the disciple also, combination of these two. So, the advantage of being with Guru is that the grace is there. The demonstration is there, something for you to observe is there and then it's your own mind and preparation which enables you to take the benefit of that and people will take benefit in different degrees depending on the preparations. Uh, the second question was, uh, I guess sometimes when we are in company of others, uh, one may get uh, influenced or one may invite the negative habits of others as well. Which is usually seen in like children and young adults. If you are in the friend, a company of friends and they may catch the you know bad habits or not so kind of. So is there a way to avoid it? There is also their mind only. Yes. So there may be uh, suffering from complexes and uh, in some way they are imbibing the qualities of somebody. In this case it is negative qualities. But in some way that somebody, they must have some kind of a uh, respect of that somebody and that is where somebody will influence them. So the potential of that may be there in this person also who imbibes the negative qualities. Sometimes there is alcohol, drugs and all kinds of things are there. Obviously some basically complexes with one's own self. That's why one gets influence and, oh, and uh, uh, need to be accepted, need to be included, that also may be part of it. Some kind of admiration may be there for whatever reason, that also could be a part of it. One's own mind which wants to explore and try and stuff like that also could be there. So various reasons can be there, why? The children or youngsters adopt the habits of their peers. And so, some people are dominant and some people are followers. So, this mindset of a follower comes in contact with somebody who is a leader, then they will adopt those things. Or uh, they should try to avoid bad company. Or so, so my question was also related to that. 
to kind of make sure that they protect the virtues they have and try to avoid uh, any negativities from outside. Dusanga Sarvatat Yajiha. Dusanga Satsanga should be done as best as possible. If that is not possible, then Dusanga should be given up. As long as our mind is subject to being influenced, so long we have to avoid. If you are quite self confident, clear about your values, then it's not that you imbibe what somebody has or you can get influenced. There's no rule that you will get influenced. But if that is, if you find a tendency in you that you are likely to be influenced, then better to avoid. So in formative years, we always advise our children to avoid some company. But they are very much likely to be influenced. When they grow into maturity, depends on when that maturity comes. But sometimes they doesn't come even in the college time, school time, college time and they get influenced and pick up many bad habits. So it depends on the person, the vulnerability of the person. Again, self-confidence, self-respect, we talked about yesterday. Of self-respect, if one has, then there is self-confidence, self-assurance. Then you don't easily fall for those kind of things. When it is not there, then you can more easily be influenced. So that is where children grow with self-assurance. It that you know that protects them. Swamiji, there is a question. I would like to know how the words mumukshu and vividisha are used in Vedanta. In the fourfold qualifications, mumukshutvam is used, and in Brihadaranyak four. 422. Uh, tamayatam. Atman. Tamayatam. Vividisha is used. Hmm. So, what are the different connotations here? Mumukshu is a general word. Mokta Michu, one who is desires moksha is called Mumukshu. Although in the 4 4 qualification, the word Mumukshu is used for the one who has only desire for moksha. Moksha means Vyadadicha, that the desire for moksha ultimately eliminates all of the desires. Meaning that one recognizes that the desire behind all the desires is for moksha. So a strong desire for moksha is the one who possesses that is called Mamuksha. And Vividishu or Jignasu means Vedramichuhu. So, the word mumukshu can apply to anybody because everybody is basically a mumukshu. Everybody loves moksha or freedom. In that sense, the word mumukshu can apply to anybody. But Vividishu or Jignasu is the one who wants to know. Swatma Tattva Bodhena Mokta Vichya Mumukshuta. In Viveka Suramani, Hankaradi Dehantan, Bandhan, Agnana, Kalpitan. All the bondages 
beginning from mahankara to deha which are kalpitan which are not real bondage because it's only a notion arising from identification which is born of ignorance so moksha is a notion born of ignorance ever knowledge alone can remove that ever swatma tatvan by both of the knowledge of one's own true nature so when this maturity arises that moksha can be attained by knowledge of the self is called vividishum so real mamoksha and vividishum are not different one only wants moksha in him the desire for knowledge certainly would have arisen but vivid issue makes it very clear the one who is desirous of knowledge so one who is clear that moksha is the achievement of what is already achieved is not so be accomplished is a nature of the self to be known so one who has that viveka becomes the vivid issue or jignasu so our puja swami used to say Mamukshu should be transformed into a jignasu. Arjuna also is mamukshu. He was he was transformed into a jignasu. Shishtasteham, sajimam tuam prapannam. So that way, vividishu or jignasu is sure indication of one's maturity, and therefore it is the. Uh, you can say because who is qualified for knowledge one who desires knowledge but otherwise mumukshu and jignasu are used in the same sense not in different sense so basically the jignasu who has the desire to know he is clear that uh, he he is clear that uh, it's practice your practice is the ignorance that is depriving me of the freedom there is a true knowledge will reveal the freedom which is an existing fact so in gita also there are four bhakta mentions arti arthati jignasu and jnana so there jignasu would mean the same same jignasu vidhi shujignasu same in that in the sense that everybody is a mumukshu knowing or unknowingly when the mumukshu becomes a jignasu the mumuksha is really matured but in the four four qualification the word mumukshu or mumukshuta is only used in the sense of jignasu But if you want to distinguish between the two, then you can say that everybody is a mumukshu, born mumukshu. But it's only viveka and maturity enables him to understand that is knowledge that can make that liberate can be liberated. I thank you all for listening to this segment. And if you want to pass uh, your questions, uh, you can do so at adhyatmachintan at gmail dot com. or uh, you can whatsapp at 7874743310
थैंक यू एंड हरिओम